everybody that's involved, they, they do such an amazing job, and um, we're not professionals, and we obviously make uh, mistakes, and it's a challenge every week, and I just, I just need to say that we have tremendous needs right now, guys, in our, in our worship ministry. We have tremendous needs in the back, people that run sound, people that do our video, people that do our streaming, um, and, and what's, what's kind of challenging is that it's very rarely do they get any kind of feedback unless it's what? It's negative. Uh, you know, you get, you start streaming on Facebook or YouTube and, you know, five minutes in, it's not working and you get all these people sending these terrible messages, you know, in, in the spirit of, you know, Christian spirit. You know, what's wrong with the stream? Why isn't it working? I can't hear anything. The sound's too loud. The band sounds terrible, blah, 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 blah. And you hear all that. And all that. Man, thanks for the encouragement. Um, and it is, well, I mean, but I say, I say all that to say that we are working very hard, doing what we can with the people that we have. And, and, the, and the, the training that we have is, is not, um, it's not just there yet. And I appreciate you guys to be patient with us. Um, through that and in that because we, we have needs and I just encourage you if you're not serving in any, anywhere in the capacity of the church if you if you have any interest whatsoever please come to see me because we, we do have legitimate needs uh, when it comes to that okay so uh, anyway praise God we're going to jump in today to uh, shifting gears a little bit as we take a break from the uh, book of Philippians and we're entering into the season as I said of the biblical feast okay um what's interesting is that five to ten years ago i'd say i'd say about 10 years for me personally my spiritual journey has been about a 10-year journey uh when i just number one just kind of became i started to become familiar with the biblical feast and then i'd say the last five years or so i've grown to um began to become more intentional about how do I, as a follower of Jesus, how do I keep and observe and remember these biblical feasts? Uh, and then leading all the way up until a couple of years ago where we hosted our first community Passover, a Seder that, we're, uh, that we're able, we were able to do back in, I think, 2019, when we're getting prepared to do that again here in just a couple of weeks. Um, and just seeing, seeing God's people come alive again and really become aware and awakened to uh, these long lost times of dedicated times, appointed times, divine appointments, if you will, that I believe God gave to us as a blessing. Uh, he gave to us to reveal to us who he is. He gave it to us to, to show us deeper aspects of, of Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ and, and prophetically and historically and practically speaking, all of these dedicated times, these appointed times of the Lord uh, they are profound and they are so rich uh, and benefit us in so many different ways. And God is doing something because if you were to if you were to type into Amazon uh, Prime or go look up a book, I'd say 10 years ago about the biblical feast, you may get a couple of hits, one or two here, one or two there. There were a couple of things written uh, within, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you were to type it in now or go to YouTube and type in, you know, teachings about the biblical feast and this kind of, I mean, it, there are, this is exploding. There are, there are so many resources and so many teachings and so many books and things written out there. There's got to be a reason why God is bringing all of this kind of back up to our attention. And I do believe that there is a significant reason for that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today as we, uh, as we jump into what we're calling the 
uh, the Moedim, um, the biblical feast of the Lord. And so you'll, you'll find out soon what that word Moedim, Moed, it is basically just a simple Hebrew word that means appointed time. It's, it's, a, it's a divine appointment, and it's God's divine appointments. And, and that's why they are so very important to me and so very significant. And so today we're going to do our best to try to unpack what I consider to be the heart of um, the, this, this time of year, which is the Feast of Passover, okay? We're going to look today at the Feast of Passover, and to some extent, unleavened bread. We'll spend more time next week talking about the, the, the intricacies of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then we will um, look at first fruits on the 17th of April, which is Resurrection Sunday, which this year is unique, is that it actually literally falls on the actual day. So we get to celebrate the risen Lord on the Feast of First Fruits this year. It doesn't always work out that way because of the way the calendars work. And so we're going to have a big time. We're going to celebrate Jesus uh, on the 17th. And so it's going to be a very, very exciting time for the life of our church. And so as I said to you earlier before, uh, this is the beginning of the new year, the month of Nisan. Sighting of the new moon was last evening. And so now we're just counting 14 days uh, to the day of Passover, the day of preparation, okay? And so I'm going to do my very best to work through this material with you today. Uh, I'm trying to cover it from really a comprehensive perspective. And so we'll, uh, we got lots to cover and hopefully we'll be able to do it in a, in a reasonable amount of time uh, today. So I didn't give you any notes in your bulletin, but we, you know, we left some sections there. If you want to jot down some notes and some things like that. Uh, but I can put these notes, I can send these, this PowerPoint. If, you, if you're one of those people that want the notes later, whatever it may be, I'll probably just shoot an email out to everybody. Uh, for those of you who may want to um, have this in your, uh, in your own personal record, we can, we can do that as well. All right, so let's go into the Feast of Passover. Feast of Passover. All right, let's see if I can get my clicker working. Here we go. Leviticus 23, let's start there, okay? We're going to start in Leviticus. Now, the, the story of Passover begins in the, in the Exodus, the Exodus of Egypt, okay? So if you, want to, if you want to go and just read the original story, go to Exodus 12. We'll, be in, we'll, we'll look at some of the uh, scriptures there in Exodus 12 in just a moment. But I wanted to kind of take you real quick into a little bit of a background with what the Lord tells us in, Levit in Leviticus chapter 23 about his... His Moedim, okay, Moed, Moedim, his divine appointments, all right? If you see there in Leviticus 23, in verse 4, it says, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. That is the word Moedim, okay? It's a plural, Moed is singular, Moedim is plural. So there are more than one. There are, there are actually seven appointed times that the Lord gives us in the book of Leviticus that, is, that allows us to kind of begin to track our lives and align our, 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 our schedules and align the rhythms of our life to be on, uh, on track with the Lord himself. That's what these seven appointed times are really all about. Something that all of the Old Testament prophets would have kept. Something that, that Jesus and his disciples and the early apostles and the early church would have recognized and observed and commemorated and memorialized these appointed times, these divine appointments. So guys, these are very, very significant, very, very important in our spiritual life, okay? 
So look at what he says in Leviticus 23. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations. Now that's a word that's it's in the Hebrew, mikra. And the mikra is just, it's when we get together. It's just the time that we come together as God's people. So he's saying, these are the times that I've set in the fabric of, of creation, and these are the times when you're supposed to come together as my people, okay? And so that's what that word holy convocation, the mikras, really, it really is all about. It's just the time that we get together, the appointed times that God established for us to gather, okay? Which, he, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight, this is the Lord's Passover. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say this is Israel's Passover? It doesn't say that this is the Jews' Passover? It doesn't say that this is your Passover or my Passover? Whose is it? It's the Lord's Passover. It's his. And he's serious about it. And he's, he's, he's all about his, his appointed times, okay? So we're going to see how all of this uh, pertains to you and me today. So the first thing that I want to share with you today is this. God ordained his divine appointments. Again, that's that word, Moedim. He, he ordained these, and he established his holy feasts or his appointed times. And this is what's critical to understand, guys. He did this at the very beginning of what? Of creation itself. And that's why I want to lay this out the background and the context of this for you because this isn't a, these are not Jewish feasts. These, these things were established by God before the very found, in the very creation itself, at the very foundation of the world itself, long before the Torah was even given to Moses at, at Mount Sinai. These things were already operating and already in place. Very important that we understand that. And so, um, again, going on there we go there's your word the the moedim and again this i just want to make sure we was clear why did we come together and meet on sunday morning right now because this is the appointed time that christ church has 10 45 every sunday morning this is the time we come together to what to worship right this is our appointed time okay and there are many different appointments and there are many different appointed times that sometimes we make and sometimes other people make for us or whatever it may be and I do believe that God wants us to worship him and serve him and love him and obey him every day. We don't, we don't dispute that. I mean, that's part of what our life should be, okay? But there's something unique about these appointed times that I think we've missed historically as a church. And the Lord is trying to bring, us, bring our attention back to this. He's trying to get us back to his schedule again. And that's what these Moedim are really all about. So the word Moedim literally can mean an appointed meeting, a regular worship time, a congregational gathering. It's just a good old get-together with God in mind, right, with, with the perspective of worshiping the Lord. So this is a sacred assembly. This is a holy day. If you, if you want to think about it along those terms, that, that's what this word really means, okay? So it is the Moedim. So let me go back to Genesis 1 where we get the, the foundational text. And that's why I want to show you guys this goes all the way back to creation. This is uh, Genesis 1 on day 4. It says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be, okay, for signs and for seasons. There's your word, moed, moedim. So all the way back in Genesis 1, 
The Lord said the sun, moon, and the stars in their natural course, in their orbits, in their, the mechanics of the solar system, and the mechanics of the constellations, and the mechanics of all of that that's happening in the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and the natural rhythms of life, God set those up in, in, at the beginning of creation for appointed times, for these divine appointments, okay? So they are, they are set in the heavens to be for signs and seasons and for days and for years, Okay, and so that's where we get the, the very first mention of the Moedim. Look at what it says in Isaiah 46. The Lord says, remember this and stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes. And so what are we talking about? When the Lord says he has declared the end from the beginning, what I want to propose to you this morning is something, again, that I've just recently discovered in my own spiritual journey. Is that not only did God establish these, divided, these appointed times, these divine appointments for his people to know when to meet and, and how to stay on schedule and, and how to recognize uh, his, uh, his goodness and worship him as a congregation, all of those things, right? But there's something even more, something that's transcending all of that, something more at work behind the scenes, and it's this. Is that these feasts, these moedim, these appointed times, all right, they telegraph. The entire scope of redemptive history, they telegraph it, okay? And they provide the blueprint, the blueprint for all of biblical prophecy. This is fascinating. When you begin to dig into this, guys, it should really kind of excite you. It should really awaken you to say, wait a minute, man, there, there is something significant to these appointed times. There's something significant to these feast days, these holy feast days. What I want to propose to you today is that God is using these appointed times to get us on his schedule so we're not going to miss out on what he is, what he's doing. How many of us believe from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, how many of us think that, we're, that we sometimes miss what God's trying to do in our life? All the time. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Celebrating Easter and Christmas as our two primary Christian holidays today have nothing to do with God's schedule. They, they really don't. Do I like Christmas? Yes, I love Christmas. Christmas time is great. I don't even like to use the word Easter because it has pagan, it is deeply rooted in pagan roots and we've basically adopted a lot of the pagan customs and cultures and uh, of, of the pagan culture and just kind of adopted them into our uh, Christian calendars and, and different things like that. And guys, it, it really has no biblical precedent whatsoever. You're hard-pressed to find anything in the scripture that have anything to do with Easter or Christmas. Amen. But what you do find in the scripture are these appointed what? These appointed feasts. And you're going to see today... How God has set this up from the very beginning, from the very foundation of the world. He set this up as a blueprint for us to understand what he is doing. And that's why I believe there were some from the children of Israel, there were some of the Jewish people who were anticipating and waiting for Messiah when he came the first time. When Jesus came the first time, not everybody missed him. We understand that, right? Many of the people believed in him. They were anticipating him. They were looking for him. Do you know why? Because they had kept for generations these appointed feasts. 
And as they kept the appointed feast, it was ingrained in their heart who Messiah was to be and what he was coming to do. So when Jesus did come on the scene at the appointed time, isn't that what Paul says, in the fullness of time, God was, he was born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem us, right? So we understand that when Jesus did come at that appointed time, there were many people who were ready for him because they had been on God's calendar. They had stayed on schedule with God and they didn't miss the coming of Messiah. And I can't help but think that maybe if we are that generation living, getting near to the coming of Messiah the second time, that it's God calling us back to get back on these dedicated times of divine appointments and appointed feasts so that we don't necessarily, so that we're more prepared for his what? For his second coming, right? So that we're more prepared for him when he comes the second time. And you're going to see why that matters in just a minute, okay? So let me just back up and give you some, let me give you an illustration simply. Now, we haven't even talked about Passover yet. I'm going to get there, I promise. But I want to use an illustration from the Sabbath to show you what I mean. Now, when you go to Genesis, it is there that we first find out that the Lord established one day of week, the seventh day, which is Saturday, that was yesterday, the seventh day of the week was a dedicated, appointed time every single week for God's people to stop working, to be, to be refreshed in the Lord, to get reoriented to God, and to worship Him, to get reconnected with God, okay? And you see this all the way back in Genesis. Look at what it says. The heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So again, this was given to God's people before the Ten Commandments. Now, we know later in the Ten Commandments, the Lord established the fourth commandment was to remember and keep what? Keep the Sabbath day holy. But it has its origin all the way back in creation, in the pattern that God established. In six days, he did all of his work, and on the seventh day, he what? He rested. Now, remember, what did I just tell you? These feast days, these appointed times, and of which Sabbath is an appointed time of the Lord. When you read Leviticus 23 which gives us all of the appointed times of the Lord. It's the summary of God's appointed feasts. Guess what he mentions first? Sabbath. It is an appointed time. It's just that it's not something that we observe every year. Sabbath is something that we should look to every what? Every week. It's a weekly time to remember God, to reflect on him. Okay? Now let me stay with me, guys, because this is important. So we have Sabbath to remember it and to keep it holy. Again, Exodus 20, this comes from the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, for in six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That means he set it apart. Now, God is very much into patterns. He's very, he's very serious about patterns. Let, let me just share an example with you. Why did Moses fail to enter to the promised land. Anybody remember? He struck the rock. Y'all know this happened twice. The first time the Lord said, do what? 
Strike the rock and the water will flow out and the people will be saved. They'll be nourished by the living water. And it was a sign. It was a pattern. It was a picture. When Moses struck the rock, which Paul tells us in Corinthians that the rock is actually who? It's Christ. The rock was representative of our Savior, of our Messiah. So when Moses went to the rock the first time, the Lord said, do what? Strike the rock. That is representative of the what? Of the cross. Jesus was, was nailed to the cross. He was, he was stricken, right? The second time comes around, later, at near the end of the wilderness journey, same situation, people are grumbling, they're thirsty, they're, they're out in the desert. The Lord tells Moses, Moses, I want you to go to the rock and what? Speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He starts striking it again. He's angry. He's frustrated with the people. God said, Moses, because what, what you have done, you're not going to enter into what? That's a serious punishment for Moses. Why was God so upset that Moses struck the rock the second time? Because the rock is, 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 uh, is representative of who? Jesus, the first time he was supposed to strike the rock as a symbol of the crucifixion, the second time Moses was to speak to the rock as a symbol of the resurrection. So in, in Moses' representation of God, he was representing the gospel. But when Moses struck the rock the second time, he profaned and perverted the what? The gospel. He perverted the picture of the gospel, and God takes those things seriously, and because of that, Moses did not see the promised land. That's what's happening here in Genesis, and that's what's happening in the Sabbath day. That's what's happening in the six days of work and one day of rest. Because if you look here, and again, Leviticus 23, the Lord is saying, listen, these are my appointed feasts. I'm setting them up for you, and they're showing you a picture and a pattern of all of redemptive history. The Sabbath will be on the seventh day. It is a day of rest. Now look at what Hebrews says. Although, he's talking of Joshua. Okay, so remember, children of Israel go to the banks of the Jordan right after Moses dies. Now it's time for them to enter into the promised land so that they can finally be home and have their rest. Okay, these are all pictures. These are all prophetic pictures of our journey with the Lord. And it says this about Joshua in the book of Hebrews. It says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, talking of the Lord, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Now look at what it says in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Stay with me. So then there remains a what? A Sabbath rest for the people of God. And whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Guys, what is the scripture telling us here? When Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, that was just a picture. That was an incomplete picture of the future fulfillment when God has promised to bring his people into the kingdom and he will ultimately give us what? Total and complete rest. He's going to give us one day to rest. And the scriptures tell us that a day with the Lord is like what? It's like a thousand years. Are you staying with me? 
So now all of a sudden we've got a Sabbath day that God said hadn't happened yet because we, we, we want to enter that rest. We hadn't entered it yet. Joshua couldn't complete that. He couldn't fulfill that in his lifetime. So only Jesus can give us that ultimate, final, seventh day, Sabbath day of rest, which is a thousand years in the kingdom of God. And we call that the millennial what? The millennial kingdom of God. That happens when who returns? When Jesus comes back and returns, he puts an end to the six days that have been happening in all of creation. 6,000 years of history of all the strife and the striving and suffering of mankind. We've been going through it for a long time now. Jesus is coming to put an end to all that, to make everything new, and to allow us to enter into his what? To his rest. That's what Sabbath rest is all about, guys. And so what you'll see... Again, I'm going a roundabout way to get to the Passover to show you that God sets these things up intentionally. And that's why I believe that it is very important and very imperative that we understand. And it's okay that we worship on Sunday. I'm not hung up on that right now. But what I am trying to help you understand, guys, is that the Sabbath day is the seventh day. It is Saturday. And God set it up that way to show us a prophetic picture of how things are going to be completed in the end. And we shouldn't mess that picture up. Just like Moses. Moses messed the picture up. God was angry at him. We shouldn't mess that picture up. You tracking with me? And so what we see is basically that all of redemptive history is basically uh, divided up into 7,000 years. And what you'll see is that, as Peter said, a day of the Lord is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day. This is a, this is a good little graph that I think will help you see where we are. Okay. From when Adam was created until when Abraham came, there was 2,000 years, generally speaking. 2,000 years or two what? Two days. Y'all staying with me? Remember, six days of creation, one day of rest. Here we are. From Adam to Abraham, two what? Two days. From Abraham to the first coming of Jesus, 2,000 years or what? Two days. Now we're in the last days because from the first coming of Jesus to his second coming is it what? Two more days, which means, guys, we're getting pretty what? I think we're getting pretty close. Which means that, literally speaking, after 6,000 years of human history, Jesus is going to return and establish one day of what? And that's the Sabbath day. Are y'all tracking with me? So this is the blueprint. This is, the, this is the prophetic pattern that God set up in the creation story itself because he's declared the end from the beginning. All right? Now, let's look more closely at the appointed feast of the Lord, which again comes to you in Leviticus chapter 23. So guys, what again we're talking about is the Moedim, the divine appointments of the Lord, the first of which is Passover. We'll be celebrating Passover in two weeks. Okay? So these are the seven appointed times specified in Leviticus 23. If you ever want to, if you, that's a good place to start. If you want to get more familiar with what I'm talking about today, go back to Leviticus 23 and kind of start reading through that. Okay? You have Passover, and you can see these pictures. They, they represent the seven appointed times in Leviticus. You have Passover... 14th of Nisan leads us to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the next seven days. There's a festival, okay? And then the first day of the week after the Sabbath on Unleavened Bread is always the day of first fruits. The day of first fruits. 
And you're sitting there thinking, what's that have to do with me? Everything. Because Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead. He is the first fruits. And there's a picture in the first fruit festival, in the feast of first fruits, that is applicable to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to whose resurrection? To our resurrection. You tracking with me? Then you have 50 days later, the day of Pentecost. Then you have the Feast of Trumpets. So those are the four fall feasts, excuse me, the four spring feasts. And then you, you begin this fall season of festivals, which starts with the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month. And then you go into the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the last is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? Now let me show you guys how awesome this is. You ready? This is the number one reason why we need to know the feast and we need to remember the feast and we need to observe the feast and we need to celebrate the feast and we need to talk about the feast and we need to get familiar with the feast. The number one reason why. Because everything in the feast points us to who? To Jesus Christ. Everything. And when I say everything, I mean to the very minute detail. It is all fulfilled and finds its meaning in Jesus Christ. All right, so you've got the four spring feasts, you've got the three fall feasts, you've got a summer period in between that kind of gives us a little bit of a, of a break between them, and I'll, I'll get into all that detail maybe a little bit later. I'm not going to spend much time here, but I want to get into this right now because this is what's most fascinating to me. All right, so y'all are staying with me, right? You've got these seven divine appointments that the Lord gave us, and then you included the Sabbath, which he gave us that as well. And they all point us to Jesus. So what I'm telling you today is that the Feast of the Lord, they find their essence, they find their meaning, and they find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true Messiah of Israel. As a matter of fact, just the fact that Jesus came and fulfilled these feast days in his first coming is validation that he is the Messiah of Israel because the Messiah of Israel, only him and he alone could fulfill all that was written in the scriptures, right? Only Jesus could have done this and he is the only one who did this. Amen. All right, what do you mean by that? Let me share with you. Now, I know this is, this is small for you up on the screen, so I'm going to read it, uh, but I just want to share that this is just a, <laughs> this is just scratching the surface, okay? So y'all give me just a second. Pull my screen back up. So how, does G, how do the feasts find their essence and their meaning and their fulfillment in Jesus? Let me tell you. Jesus shed his innocent blood as our Passover lamb. Not only is Jesus just a picture of the Passover lamb, but when the Israelites, when the Jewish people were preparing their Passover lambs on the Feast of Passover, preparing their Passover lambs to be killed on their behalf, the very same day that's happening, who's hanging on the cross? Jesus. So he was crucified on the what? The Passover. Is that a, is that a coincidence? This, this festival 
that the Lord set up any, right, coming out of Egypt for, for 1,400 years or more, the Israelites, the children of Israel, observed this feast, observed this feast, went over and over and over. Every single year they're doing the very same thing with this lamb that's a, a male lamb, spotless, four days, uh, four days they observe the lamb, then they have to sacrifice the lamb, then they have the Passover meal, and they're doing all these things, all these rituals. They're doing it generation after generation after generation. And they're doing it as a picture and as a rehearsal of the one who is to come as our Passover lamb. It's Jesus. Take it a step further. You see, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're supposed to get all the yeast out of your home. Purge the yeast because yeast is easily corrupted. It's, significant, it's, it's symbolic of sin. When you bake bread with yeast in it, it spoils very fast. It can become you know, spoil, but when you bake bread without yeast, it's unleavened and it's hard like a cracker. What's the significance about unleavened bread? It does not what? Doesn't spoil. Doesn't decay. Well, then all of a sudden you begin to see how Jesus, his body being broken for us, he is the living bread. He's the, he's the bread of life. Jesus' body went into the ground. He was buried during the feast of unleavened bread, but his body did not suffer decay. His body was not decomposed in the grave. Guys, the unleavened bread that God gave the children of Israel in these appointed times, it was, it was, it was a prophetic picture of the body of Christ that was going to be laid in the ground, and yet his body would not decay, just like the unleavened bread is not going to spoil or decay. Right? Then you take it a step further on the day of first fruits, which is the first day of the week. The priest would wave the first the very first uh, fruit of the harvest in front of the people, and he would say, blessed be God because he has provided everything for us and he's going to provide a future harvest to come, right? Who was resurrected on the day of first fruits? Are y'all staying with me so far? All right, I know, I know we, we, I don't want to assume anything, but what I'm trying to help you understand is that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the first four feasts when he came the first time. He died as our Passover land on Passover. He was laid in the ground as our unleavened bread, the, the bread of life in the grave. His body did not suffer decay. And on the first day of the week, he was what? Resurrected as the first fruits from the dead. And then 50 days later, which is the next feast on the calendar, the day of Pentecost, what did the Lord do? He gave the Holy Spirit. So those four significant events in our Messiah's Life and in our in, in redemptive history, they all happened on the exact what feast day, on the exact day, and they fulfilled those things to a T, completely detailed. It is amazing when you think about that. And then what you see, and I'm not going to go into all this right now, but this will also happen at his second coming. So I'm not going to read all this to you right now, but at the end of the age, I believe what we're seeing, because Jesus fulfilled the, fall, the spring feast at his first coming, he's going to fulfill the fall feast at his what? At his second coming. He's going to return on trumpets. He's going to open the books and hold the day of judgment on, the, on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And then God's going to come down and dwell with his people on the Feast of Tabernacles, and we will dwell with him for forever, and we'll enter into that Sabbath day. That one day of rest, right? So guys, this is why these things are so very important. So what I want to share with you today, and as I, as I kind of try to get to the very heart of this message, as we, as we think about these things, 
This is why it's important to you and me. Because the Feast of Passover, guys, and really all of these appointed feasts, but the Feast of Passover that we're looking at today, it is at the very heart of your spiritual heritage. It's very important that the, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, made them into a new people, a new covenant people, because had that not happened, dare say we wouldn't be here today. Because that had to happen in order for God to accomplish his purposes eventually so that Jesus would come and be born into the world. That's what it was all about. To save that group of people so that Messiah could come. And thank God he came because now we have a relationship with the God of Israel through the Messiah. This is our heritage. This is our spiritual heritage. How many Christians today know their, their Old Testament? We should. That's our heritage. That's our spiritual heritage. That's where we came from. And it's also not just our heritage, but it's our future what? It is our hope. It is the hope that we have that we will also inherit all of the covenant promises and blessings that God gave to his people, Israel. And we do this by faith. Guys, it's always been by what? Our relationship to God has always been by faith. Amen. By grace through faith. There is no other way to come to God. And the thing that I want you to see is that these things, the, the Feast of the Lord and the Passover, they were established by God to be a memorial forever throughout all generations. Okay? A memorial forever throughout all generations. I don't know where we went wrong. I don't know where we got off track. I'm not here to blame anybody. Probably had something to do with the early Roman Catholic Church and all of the things that were happening back in the early uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth centuries. But guys, somewhere along the way, we got off track. And we stopped observing these feasts. We forgot about them. God says, they're supposed to be in your memory and you're supposed to have them in your heart for how long? And you're supposed to teach your children about them and your grandchildren. And every generation, every generation is to keep these. And that means forever. Okay, and that includes you and me. Look at what it says in Exodus 12. This day, the Passover, shall be a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And so when you fast forward and you see the life and ministry of Jesus, what are he and his disciples doing? They're keeping the feasts. Are they not? Of course they are. Look at what it says, Matthew 26, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. Where will you have us prepare and eat the Passover? He says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And there they prepared the Passover. So what do we see in our spiritual heritage? Number one, it is imperative that we see the exodus from Egypt, which is when God delivered the children of Egypt by the Passover lamb. That whole story, again, go back and read Exodus 12 to get your, your foundation but when Jesus comes along and he has the Passover meal with his disciples, he adds a whole other layer of meaning and significance to it. He, he doesn't say that the, the exodus is insignificant, but he's saying, now that I have come, I want to keep this Passover with you, and I'm going to show you an even greater fulfillment because the body, the, the bread that you're breaking with me right now, this unleavened bread, it was representative of my what? My body. And this cup that we're sharing with each other right now, it represents our what? Our blood. Okay? Not sure what's going on with that. 
Billy, we got anything buzzing back here? Sounds like an alarm. Okay, just try to, try to concentrate. I'll do my best. So again, stay with me. Jesus said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to remember the Passover, but Jesus says, I also want you to remember me, my death, my burial, my resurrection, because now Jesus has given so much greater significance to this holy day. And so that's why we see the Passover taking on a whole new life when we get to observe it together as God's people. And interestingly enough, you see in Exodus 12 that the Passover was not just for the native born, the ethnic people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it was also for the sojourner and the stranger. If they put their faith in the God of Israel, they were able to keep what? They were able to keep Passover as well. Okay? And so what I'm trying to show you guys is that what we have here is an opportunity for us who have been estranged from God. We've been alienated from God. We, we don't know anything of, of anything about the Lord and his Passovers and all of the things that he's doing in our life. As Gentiles, we're just kind of out there wandering out there in the world, lost and without hope. And yet through Christ, through his precious blood, we are what? We are brought near to God. That's what's so amazing. Look at what it says. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay? And so that's what we have in the Passover is that we as Gentiles have our spiritual heritage and our future inheritance is all wrapped up in this picture that we see in the Passover. It's very, very significant. So it, it still has profound meaning to us today. All right, next. I'm going to give you a, some alliteration right here. You ready? Passover is the preeminent prophetic pattern that prefigures the person and redemptive work of Christ, the Lamb of God, right? That's a mouthful. But again, what do I mean by that? The reason you start with Passover is because the Lord is trying to show us that Messiah is our Passover Lamb. Messiah is our Passover lamb, back up. Oops. All right, so you know that, that the Israelites were to paint the blood on the doorpost on the night of the Passover as a sign to the Lord that they had faith. Now remember, they had to do what God told them to do, but what, how, why were they, how were they saved? They were saved by faith. They had to get into the house. They had to do what God told them to do, right? And so here in 2 Corinthians, I, I shared some of this uh, with you earlier. Um, is that Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed. Let us celebrate the festival with sincerity and truth. What did John say about Jesus? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was re making reference to Jesus as who? The Passover lamb. Don't miss this. Peter, he says, you were ransomed. From your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Guys, this is all over the scriptures. And then, of course, we know Jesus in the book of Revelation is called the Lamb of God. And look at what it says about Jesus. It says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth and wisdom and honor and might and glory and blessing because he has redeemed the people from all nations to bring them into covenant relationship with himself. And so everything that happened in Exodus with the Passover was a picture 
It was just, it, it, was, it happened in real time. It was a real deliverance of, of real people in that, at that time. But that was just a partial fulfillment of what God was preparing to do in the end through Christ. And then Isaiah 53 probably gives it to us better than anywhere. Y'all know this passage so well. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at what it says. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. This is Jesus, the Passover lamb. So I could, I could give you so many more scriptures. But the last thing I want to share with you today, so let's, let's just kind of recap of, of what we've talked about, guys. We see in these divine appointments God's prophetic blueprint for all of history. He's trying to get our attention. He's, and listen, listen, let me just put it to you this way. God is saying, okay, I've set these days apart because I'm going to do something special on these days. So he's already done that. On the first four feasts, right? He did something very special at Passover. Who died? Jesus. He did something very special during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was buried, but his body did not decay in the grave. He did something very special on the day of first fruits. What happened? Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He did something very special on the Feast of Pentecost. He sent the coming of the Holy Spirit spirit and filled us and gave us this new relationship with himself god is telling us i'm doing things very special i'm doing significant things in the course of history on these very significant appointed days and he's trying to get us guys to pay attention to that to get ourselves back on his schedule that's what i'm trying to help you understand today and if you and if you were just still a little bit hesitant about why we should be more intentional with knowing and understanding and, and remembering these, these special appointed days, let me just remind you that there's coming a day when Jesus does return and he is back on the earth as king of kings, ruling from Jerusalem. He's going to be the king of Israel. The, the house of the Lord will be exalted above all the mountains on the face of the earth. And there God will rule in his kingdom and we will be there with him, guys. And guess what? Guess what we will be doing in this kingdom in the millennium? We're going to be keeping the what? We're going to be keeping the feasts. Y'all tracking with me? And so again, I'm just, I, I like to pose this question because I pose this question to myself. And I'm just going to pose it to everyone in the room today, maybe for those of you who are watching, okay? We as believers in the Messiah of Israel have now been included into the commonwealth of Israel. We're part of Israel now. We inherit that spiritual blessing, those covenants. Okay? The children of Israel historically have kept the feasts. They were commanded to. They were supposed to. Okay? Nowhere in the New Testament did the Lord or anybody else abolish those. Nowhere did those feast days and, and the appointed days of the Lord, none of them ever got canceled or nullified or voided. Can't find it. Not only that, but we're going to be keeping the feasts in the kingdom. 
So God's people historically have been commanded to keep the feast. Jesus came along. He didn't, he didn't nullify the feast. And we're going to be keeping the feast in the kingdom of God for a thousand years. My question to you is, why are we not doing it right now? That's my question. It's simple. I'm not saying the answer is simple. But the question is very simple. And that's a question we all need to wrestle with. And I am challenging us a little bit to think about that because I've, I'm of the persuasion through this time of discovery that we should be observing and keeping, that these appointed times should be part of our religious calendar, our regular calendar, our spiritual calendar, not Christmas, not Easter, not Halloween, not these pagan Valentine's Day or whatever, all these other St. Patrick's Day, all this other stuff, none of that stuff. Now, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not being legalistic about it, but I'm saying we need to get back to God's day, God's appointments, God's divine appointments, not man's tradition. Okay, so here's the last thing I'm going to share with you before we go. Like all the feasts, all of them, we will celebrate Passover in the kingdom. And we will present ourselves to worship before the King, Jesus, in Zion. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to just validate what, I, what my claim is, and we'll wrap this thing up. So the, the Jehovah's Feast, Yahweh's Feast, are forever and for all time. That's, that's something that I have to emphasize over and over again, guys. Now look at what Jesus said. It says, when the hour came... Jesus reclined at the table. They're about to have their own Passover meal. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is what? Fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus telling us? That after he was crucified, he was buried, he resurrected, he ascended to heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm going to wait and I'm not going to eat this Passover meal again until we all get to sit down at the table with the Lord in the kingdom and eat it what? Together. Which means we're going to eat it again. We're going to eat it in the future. We're going to celebrate Passover with Jesus in the kingdom. Look at what he says. I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Guys, we will be doing these things as his people, covenant people in the kingdom. Amen. Isaiah 33, behold Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem. It says, but there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. Zechariah 14, everyone who survives of all the nations that have come up against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king and the Lord of hosts and to keep the feast of booths. This is just one example of how that time frame in the millennial kingdom, we will be keeping the feast together with the Lord. Look at what it says in Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is living among you. He will take delight in you. He will calm you with, his, with your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals, and you will be disgraced no more. These are all uh, scriptures that remind us that we will do this in the millennial kingdom. And then finally in Ezekiel 45, again, a picture of the millennium. It says that the, there will be priests 
and they will be appointed by God for the feast, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the appointed feast of the house of Israel. And they, they will provide sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings. And look at what it says. And just in case you wondered, and you will celebrate the feast of what? Passover. And for seven days unleavened bread shall be eaten. And on that day the prince shall provide for himself and all the people a young bull for a sin offering. Okay, so these are things that we're going to be doing in the millennial kingdom. And so as we go, again, I, I'm trying to get as much packed into these messages as I can because there's so much to cover. But as we go, let's really, let's, let's think about it. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on back up because we're going to sing one more song before we go. But as we go, I want to just share this with you because I think it's important that we always remember God is always interested more. Guys, listen to me. Stay with me. He's always interested more in the condition and the attitude of our what? Of our heart. And that's all I'm asking you to do. Open your heart. Say, Lord, okay, this is maybe a new teaching for me. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't know about it. I'm not sure about it yet. That's fine. I, I'm, this is a very, um, it's a very sensitive, it's a very complex issue. All I'm asking you to do is, is just open your heart. And here's the question I would leave you with as we go. If the feast of the Lord, if these feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first, if, if they point us to Jesus, if they reveal something more to us about Jesus, then why would we not participate in them? That's a simple question. If we want to be like Jesus, we should keep the feast, because who kept the feast? Who kept the feast? Jesus. We're supposed to be disciples of who? A disciple of Jesus is somebody who walks like Jesus and talks like Jesus and believes like Jesus and, and lives his life like Jesus Christ. Well, he kept these appointed times. They're all about him. So, guys, my challenge to you and, my, and really my encouragement to you is, is keep your heart open and recognize that this is what God is calling us to do, too, to return to him, to get ourselves back on his schedule and to recognize these are, should be part of our daily lives. This should be part of our annual religious calendar. This should be part of our spiritual journey. Because that's where God is going to show up the most. On the days that he has established for us to get to know him more. And obviously to know Jesus more. Okay, so let us never cease to celebrate Christ, our Passover lamb. And as we continue to pr proclaim his death and resurrection, we do this until he comes once and for all to save us in the end. So guys, again, I'm just scratching the surface for you. I hope that I'm giving you enough to get you interested, to get you hungry, to get you thirsty, to go deeper and, and to find out more about it. Next, next week, we'll talk about uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then again, in two weeks, when we get to come back together here, we're going to celebrate the Feast of what? First fruits, as Christ is our, the first fruits from the dead and so let's uh let's all go to the lord in prayer and we're going to sing one more song today lord i do pray that um you'll just search our hearts give us a an open heart lord to know how to begin celebrating and, and remembering these these very special appointments these divine feasts lord that you have put in uh the very fabric of creation that you've you've led us to know you through these days 
And ultimately, Lord Jesus, you're the one who has fulfilled them. You're the one that has given the greatest meaning and purpose to these days. And so the more that we, the more that we understand the feast, the more that we celebrate the feast, is the more that we understand you and we know you. And Lord, that's, that's my heart for our people. So Lord, just give us a, an opportunity to investigate these things, to search the scriptures, and to know, Lord, that you are at work in the middle of all of it. And so we pray this now in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. Let's stand together as we, uh, as we finish worship.